adjustments, what they're called when you're comparing a three bedroom house to a five bedroom house, those adjustments, that's where you can really get yourself in trouble because in the end it's an educated guess. And sometimes it's less educated than other times. Best ever listeners. We have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Ryan Wright. How you doing, Ryan? Fantastic. How are you, Joe? I am doing well, and I'm glad to hear you're doing fantastic. A little bit about Ryan. He is the CEO of DoHardMoney.com. He's the author of three books and has been investing in real estate since the age of 21. He funds fix and flips, refinance, and buy and hold loans in 34 states. And you can say hi to him at his website, DoHardMoney.com based in West Jordan, Utah. So with that being said, Ryan, will you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of grew up in the real estate business a little bit. I think my grandfather was flipping homes before it was even popular down in Southern California and kind of grew up in the rental business and got into traditional agency and then got into flipping and got into lending. So now we kind of do all aspects of real estate investing with our primary focus being in lending and doing fix and flips and those types of deals. Why is that the focus versus other types of ways you could be involved in real estate? Great question, Joe. I think the big reason is I love helping people get their first deal under their belt. We have a niche for that. I mean, we can help experienced investors, but we really have a good niche for helping newer investors get started. And I just remember what it was like being a young investor, trying to get funding for my first deal, how difficult it was. And if it wasn't for a guy named Dan that I ran into and met just through a referral, I don't know if I would have got my first deal done. So I just really have a passion of seeing somebody helping them get through that hurdle of that first deal because I think it's one of the hardest. And once you do that, it's a lot easier. <laughs> From a business standpoint, in order for you to stay in business, you've got to mitigate the risk of this beginner defaulting. So what are you doing to do that when you qualify the individual? Great question. So first and foremost for us, we're really looking at the property having a lot of value. So we scrutinize the value of the property pretty heavily because we feel like if we're into a deal right, even if our customer or our borrower has concerns or troubles, we can usually come out good as long as we're into a, a decent property with good values. So we're really critical on the values, probably more than other places. And that's how we're able to work with first timers. And again, we can work with experienced investors as well. But as far as first timers, I think scrutinizing the value is probably one of those. Also, we give a lot of support. So we have project managers that help through the construction phase before we even close on the loan, go through the bid with the general contract and the borrower, make sure they're pricing right. So I would say values correctly in construction pre-closing work and post-closing work is really the key to us and being successful. Specifically, what value of the property do you need to see? 
We're really looking at that after repaired value being solid, meaning we need three good comparables that are active and three good comparables that are sold that are all within a mile radius, hopefully closer, that are solid. So we don't like the speculation. We might be able to get this higher. So we basically use the three lowest actives and the three lowest solds values that are in move-in ready, good condition, rehab condition, and we won't use the highest. So we start at the lowest of the list and work our way up and say, would our property be in the same or better condition than this one? Yes, go to the next comp. Are we same or better? Yes, go to the next one. And then we basically use three actives and three solds. So I think for us, we're using the lower of the good move-in ready rehabbed properties, not the most expensive. And I think it's a mistake a lot of new investors make as they're finding the most expensive property out there. They're saying, my house is going to be worth that. And they fall in love with that one comparable. And it leads to a lot of problems, frankly. So you look at the three lowest active and the three lowest sold, ideally within ideally a one mile radius. But then do you look at the amount of dollars that they'll have into the deal relative to the overall value? Do you have some sort of equation there? Yeah, absolutely. Really, our goal is to not be more than 70% of the after repaired value minus the cost of repairs. So if you can keep everything under that 70% minus the repairs, you need about a 30% margin plus your repair cost. It's kind of the target. We're also looking at other things, Joe. We're looking at crime and we're looking at the neighborhood. We're looking at some other factors as well. And again, it's more on the first timer or the newer deals where we've got to be more critical to protect not only our risk, but also the borrower's risk or our customer's risk as well. So we kind of look at ourselves as the last line of defense. Once somebody's looked at everything, then let us take a look and we can let you know what what our thoughts are in making sure. And when we say the lowest, I want to clarify on that. It's not the cheapest house on the market. It's the cheapest house that's going to be in comparable conditions to what your house is going to be once it's fixed up. So it's not like the lowest house. It's the lowest that's in good, moving, ready, rehab type of condition. That's what we're looking for. Will you elaborate more on, we give a lot of support and you mentioned construction. I think you said pre and post, but will you just elaborate on that part? Yeah, we've been doing this for quite some time. And one of the things that we found is we've gotten pretty good at trying to make sure we're getting ourselves into good deals. Sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes borrowers makes mistakes. But for the biggest part of that, we do really well at that. So the other aspect that we really got into several years ago is we were good on the values, but then we found the construction was having problems all the time. So one of the things that typically happens to a newer investor is they're really price shopping. They're looking for the cheapest construction price, which that may be good as long as that actually happens, as long as the contractor follows through. So we found a lot of times either they would select a contractor or subcontractors or handyman, and they would get into the project. And then the contractor would say, we need $20,000 more. And they didn't have the budget for that. And they get themselves into problems. So what we did is we have professional project managers. These guys went to school for construction project management or have owned construction companies pretty legitimate. And so what they do is when the borrower selects a contractor or who's going to do the repairs, they break that out item by item. And then our project manager talks to the contractor and talks to the borrower and looks at that bid to make sure those are fair prices, that they're not too high and that they're not too low. And then turns that into our compliance or underwriting department. 
So that way we can make sure, hey, this is overbid, this is underbid. And then they're also looking at the full scope of the property to make sure nothing's being missed. As well as afterwards, once it closes, they're meeting with that contractor on a weekly basis. They're going through and saying what got done, what didn't get done to make sure the project continues on. And so we've been able to solve a lot of the problems that most newer investors have in dealing with contractors by being very proactive. Oh, yeah. That's really helpful. Do you also look at the contracts that the borrower has with the contractor? We don't necessarily give legal advice on that, Joe, but we've got a few things we make recommendations on. So one of the tips that I really like to have is make sure you have a solid deadline of completion. And one of the things we like to do is give the contractor a bonus for early completion and a penalty for late completion. So we basically say, whatever your loan is, whatever your daily interest, we typically double that and say, hey, if you're late, it's $50 a day, but if you get done early, we'll give you $100 per day. So it gives some motivation to the contractor to complete both the carrot and the stick. Mm -hmm. And any other tips with the contractor contracts? I know that you're not an attorney, blah, 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 but just any best practices that you've come across? I think the biggest thing people do is they get broad bids. The guy goes through the property and says, oh, I'll do it all for $30,000. They make a relationship with the contractor. They fall in love with him and say, okay, $30,000. We have a multi-page form that goes through line by line by line, and we break everything out line by line. Because one of the problems that happens is if they say, we'll paint and sheetrock the whole house for $3,000. Well, when they get part of it done, they want to get some of their money, but you don't know which part you should pay them. And then you can get into a situation where you overpaid. You've paid too much. And then if they don't finish the work, you can get yourselves in trouble. So we really recommend, number one, have an agreement or a contract. Number two, document item by item what's going to be done and what the prices are by item. So if they finish one thing but don't finish another, you can pay them appropriately. And it also helps to get into, if you have any problems with contractors down the road, to have that documented, as well as having early completion. The other one I would just say is making sure they're responsible for their insurance or they carry insurance if you had a slip and fall or some type of an event on the property. So those would be my three most important things. And what about paying them early for supplies before they do anything? Yeah. The way that we do that is we give a little bit of money up front for the job, kind of to grease the wheels. So if the project's $30,000 total, what we do is give a 10% up front to get the project going. And then we do draws. So we do draws based upon line items. And based upon those line items, it has to be 100% complete. And when we meant 100% complete, the faucet can't be leaky. The knobs have to be installed 100%. There's no tolerance to not being done we'll install the doors tonight. Nope, it doesn't count. So we do that. And then we do that on a draw schedule. Some of the contractors will float the money. Some of our borrowers will pay some money to work things out with contractors. I think the important thing for us is if they know the money sitting in an escrow account and just waiting for them based upon that, then we get more contractors willing to say, okay, well, I'll take less up front. But materials and paying up front is a big deal. We hear horror stories all the time about that and people getting taken advantage of. So it's a difficult thing. But I think managed properly, you can make it work. Outside of working with contractors, what are some mistakes you see beginning fix and flippers make when they're assessing an opportunity? Well, I think the number one mistake people make is they fall in love with a deal and they put blinders on and they're not critical of the deal. You've got to put on the hat and look at it as if you were the end buyer and say, would I rather have this house versus this house? So simply overpaying for the property or falling in love with a deal is probably my number one. 
along with not valuing the property appropriately. I'd also just have to say a lot of newer investors are trying to buy properties that are listed on the multiple listing. And that's the most difficult, lowest margin frustrating way. And so not going after what we call off market properties and finding properties that have less competition, less people, it's huge to find better opportunities. You mentioned comps earlier and you said it's a comparable condition to your property once your property is fixed up. What are some things to look for in a comparable property? For example, does number of bedrooms matter? Number of bathrooms matter? Does the backyard matter? What needs to be the same and what can be different? I think the answer is yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But what you've got to do is you've got to be able to objectively make those decisions. And so what I tell people is to be within 10%. So if the square footage is 2000 square feet, you want to be from 1800 to 2200 square feet when you're choosing your comparables. And then as far as bedrooms, I say within 10%. So you're basically one bedroom, give or take, but then there's what's called adjustments. So then we actually have to make adjustments based upon the comparables. So if mine has five bedrooms and yours has six bedrooms, I have to make an adjustment. And that adjustment is going to be area by area. What's it worth to somebody to have an extra bedroom? Sometimes that can be substantial. That could be 15, 20, 30, $40,000. And sometimes that could only be $5,000 difference. So you've got to be a little bit of an investigator and understanding. If you really want to get good at this, there's actually a database that you can look up of what the average cost of bedrooms in different areas and get an idea for that. But I think what's most important is rather than choosing comps that have big differences, try and get comps that don't have any differences. The best thing is if you have multiple houses across the street that's the exact same that's sold that you can use a comparable, which isn't always the case. The other big problem people are constantly doing is they're jumping what we call natural barriers. So you might have a street that's a busy street. Like we have a street here locally, 7th East. If you're on the east side of 7th East, your property's worth thirty dollars or $40,000 than if you're on the west side of 7th East, but they're still both within the mile radius. So there's these natural barriers where it's like, no, this is not a comp. If you're choosing a, one on the other side of the tracks, it's not a good comp, even though it may be within the mile. How do you all, as individuals who I believe are all in Utah, unless some work remotely, but still, unless you're in that market, how do you know what those natural barriers are per market? We're in the local markets is really what it comes down to. So we've got people on the ground in all the different markets that actually work for us. They're going to take a look at the properties and they know those natural barriers and boundaries as well as the values, as well as the comparables. So we hire them to go look at the property. We also get pretty good at it because we see so many deals that we're constantly looking at deals and have a pretty good flavor for that. But being local is huge for us because we have a local presence everywhere that we're currently lending. What about if you don't have comps within a mile radius, either it's a more remote area or the market's going one direction or another and there's just not a lot of other comps? Well, I think that's going to come down to your experience level as an individual investor. So for a brand new investor, I'd probably shy away from that. You kind of have two different issues there. You've got your rural properties. And in some cases, we can help out on some of those rural properties as long as we can expand some searches and that there's enough supply and demand in the area. But that's more difficult if you're dealing with more of a rural area. 
Secondly, the other problem you've got is changes or fluctuations in marketplace. And what we're going to be looking for is demand. Is there enough buying and selling actually happening in that area? And then secondly, maybe you expand out a little bit, but am I going to be able to find good comps? Adjustments, what they're called when you're comparing a three-bedroom house to a five-bedroom house, those adjustments, that's where you can really get yourself in trouble because in the end, it's an educated guess. And sometimes it's less educated than other times. And it really comes down to what the end buyer is willing to pay for the property. So an appraisal or anything else is simply a guess as to what they're hoping somebody would be willing to pay for that property. And you don't know until you actually get in the deal and find a buyer on that. So those are two things that I'd be cautious with as you're dealing with a newer investor. A more experienced investor should be able to have a better feel for values and if it's a risk that they're willing to take. But the less information, the more risk. From a financial standpoint, thinking about a lending business versus you doing the fix and flips, if you were to scale a fix and flip business, why does it financially make more sense for you to do lending versus the fix and flips? I don't know if it does, <laughs> but I just have a passion for helping people doing deals, getting started, putting deals together. And we do some fix and flips. We'll do some deals here and there. So we're not out of the marketplace in, in that realm. I think for me, I don't think it's a financial thing. It's more of a lifestyle thing. It's easier to have my money working for me than having the projects and some of those types of things. So I think it's maybe a little bit easier to scale and maybe a little bit easier on the lifestyle than being in there. I think if you're really in your rehabs, you've got to be on top of them. You've got to be in there all the time. You've got to do those things, which I really enjoy the transformation process. But I think financially, it'd probably be better to be flipping a bunch of properties, but I just get a lot of satisfaction out of helping. There's nothing like having somebody say, you changed my life. I just got a huge payday. I implemented the stuff you told me to do. I found that property. You guys got the money for me. We just closed. I just got a check. That's just like super rewarding for me. And I'm in a position where I can do what I love to do. And so this is the direction that we're heading down. Love it. And just so the best ever listeners who are listening, who are doing these types of deals, so they know the type of fees to expect on your loans, what are they? It's going to vary based upon several factors. It's going to vary based upon the marketplace. It's going to vary based upon experience. You could be anywhere from a couple of points up to six or six and a half points. You could be all the way down to 9% interest up to 18% interest. But one of the things we've got is a tool. When you put in the deal, it will actually do all the math for you and it'll make all those determinations online and it'll pop up and tell you what we can do. So it just automatically does it. So in less than a couple of minutes, you fill it out and they'll say, boom, this is the best thing. And you'll have an option of saying, I want the cheapest money, or I want the longest term money, or I want the lowest down payment money. So depending upon what your needs are, it will tell you different pricing structures based upon all the other factors. And that's a technology that we've built and are perfecting. That's interesting. So they have different options from the cheapest to the longest term, or what was the third thing you said? Least amount of money down. We find there's really three things. I want to bring as little money down as possible, or I want to get the cheapest deal I can, or I need a longer term, or I want a several year deal, some of those types of things. So we try and look at those factors and say, well, what's most important? So between that and your personal circumstances and the property circumstances, our logarithm does all the work and says, here's the best deal we have for you. And we have all kinds of things. We don't just have private capital, but we have hedge funds. We have lenders you may find online, but all of that comes into our database and can say, 
boom, here's the best deal. You don't need to look any further. Our kind of our mantra is if it can be done, we can do it because we've got such a breadth of different capital sources that can bring that not only from our own capital to private investors, to hedge funds you've never heard about, to things that you have heard about. And it basically says, here's your best deal. Just using a hypothetical example, what would be a typical term or just a term just so I can wrap my head around cheapest versus longest term versus least money down? Shortest term, you could be looking at a deal that's five or six months. Longest term, you could be looking at a deal that's five years, maybe even 10 years. We've got some options that are opening up. I mean, literally, we have so many options. It's hard for me to nail something down. As far as cheapest down, we've done some deals where they've came with a few thousand dollars or not even that much as we have some private investors that if it's a really rocking deal, they'll say, hey, we use the collateral. So little to no money on that. And then for some of our other ones that are cheaper, you could be looking at 10% of the overall project. For your mainstream investor that's maybe done a couple of deals, we've got some killer money where we'll fund say 100% of the rehab and 90% of the purchase. So you've got to come up with 10% and some costs. And that's a pretty attractive deal with pretty attractive pricing. You're a couple of points, give or take, depending on circumstances and somewhere between nine and 12% on the rate. So that's good. But again, Joe, it all depends. I get and, it. And that was the answer I got a lot when we first started was it depends, it depends. And I hate that answer. So that's why we build a sophisticated computer system that you can plug in and it'll say, boom, because it really comes down to you, the property and what you want. What are you looking for? What's most important to you? And based upon all those factors, it comes and says, here you go. It even looks up the property before it gives you an answer. Is the property in a rural area? Is taxes high in that area? Is there seasonality in the area? It does so much stuff for you on the back end while you're waiting for that. And then it'll say, boom, here you go. And so we've invested heavily into our technology because I think that's the future of where this goes of helping people do their deals. That's really what we're all about. That's really what I was wondering is what the variable was for the cheapest that you moved up and down because I obviously understand if someone's looking for the longest term, what variable you change. And that's the term of, that's, that's the term of the loan. I get that. And then the least money down, I understand that is how much you put down initially. But the cheapest, I was wondering your variable that you change. I should have asked it that way. And you answered it, it is how much you bring to the deal, basically how much in total you're borrowing on the deal based on the rehab and the purchase price. And a multiple of other risk factors where it's crime in the area, volatility, how many deals are happening in the neighborhood. If somebody's going to do a deal where you're virtually coming in with little to no money, we're going to look at everything. If there's bad crime in the area, that's going to be a problem. If it's in a rural area, that's going to be a problem. So we're really looking at everything when it comes to that because that's a higher risk situation. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't be able to do the deal, but we might not be able to do it where you're coming in with little to no money. So when we look at that, that's more of a complex structure because we're looking at really what's everything could possibly go wrong. But again, it's kind of on a deal by deal basis. I think the most important thing is we just have so many options that we can find an option that works most of the time, as long as two elements I can't control. And that's that you're getting a good deal on the property. And number two, your construction budget is online. And those are the two things we have the most friction on is lots of times we have people bring us deals. And in the end, our independent evaluators go to the property, know the area, say, no, it's not worth this. And we get too independent so they don't talk or know each other. Or the construction, our project managers say, there's no way you can't rehab this 5,000 square foot house for 
10 grand and redo the whole thing. Math does not work. Those are the two things, the skill sets, I think that newer investors really need the most help with is finding, then valuing, then rehab project management and the cost structure. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Okay. When it comes to real estate, there's two sides of the equation. So you've got the making money side and you've got the living on less side. I find so many real estate investors are focusing so much on the making more side that they forget about the living on less side of it. And it's funny because I was with my brother-in-law down in St. George and we're about the same age. And he was just like, hey, you guys made some interesting choices. So we kind of compared it to that debt snowball. You take extra money to pay down your debt. Everybody kind of realized that. Take that extra money and pay down your debt. What they don't think about is the investment snowball and the compound effect that an investment would have. So my best real estate investing advice is start early and do it often. So buy a property, whether that's a rental, whether that's a wholesale deal, whether that's a rehab, and reinvest those funds. Don't go to Disneyland. Maybe take 10% of the profits and do something with, but reinvest reinvest, reinvest, reinvest. And then you get to a point where that snowball is going down the hill pretty rapidly in the investment direction that it spits off quite a bit of money. And you're saying, wow. So I think the best real estate advice for me is invest that money, keep reinvesting it and let this compound investing snowball continue. And you'll be amazed at what it looks like 10 years down the road. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net. Right, best ever book that you've read recently? My best ever book is Atlas Shrugged. Have you read it before, Joe? Are you familiar with it? I am familiar with it. I have not read it. So I, I think made, there's a movie on it there or a is, TV series or something. Yeah. I might have saw it like a while ago. Yeah, there's a couple of movies. They're okay. The book's amazing. It was written by a gal that defected from Russia and was in communism and saw capitalism. And it's a novel about capitalism. I named my son after a character in the book. That's it had a big it. influence on you. Best ever book. <laughs> Best ever book. Atlas Shrugged. Hands down. It talks about the psychology of capitalism and how true capitalism, those things. It's a big deal for me. Best ever transaction you've done. The best one I would say is a property up in Sandy. We actually bought it from a private auction, funny enough, and we purchased that property, rehabbed it, and we ended up clearing about 70000 bucks on that deal. So really nice profit margin for the area that I'm in. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? I got emotional on a deal. The property in Murray, we bought a property as an investment 
we said it was going to be an investment and we thought maybe we'd live in it. We bought the property. The mistake I made is we rented it. We decided not to move into it. The idea was, hey, we love this house, so we'll buy it as a rental and then later we'll move into it. And we were feeding that thing. I think we lost $800 a month on the property and I kept it way too long. And I ended up losing about $100,000 on this property. And it's because I invested with my heart and not my head. Best ever way you like to give back. We have this safe house that we've kind of adopted. And during the Christmas season, what we do is we provide Christmas to kids that are in this safe house. And it's in a rougher area. And it's kids that, for example, just a few days before Christmas, we got a call where the dad murdered the mom and the kids. So dad's in jail, mom's dead, and the two kids just went into a home two days before Christmas and they call us. And we have the privilege of being able to help those kids out. And the, the, sorry, Joe, the most impactful thing for us is we actually are able to take our kids and shop for the kids. We don't have a name, but we know their age and the color and that they like Legos or whatever the case is. And so I'm able to take my boys that are the same age as kids that are there and explain to them and to have them be a part of that process is pretty rewarding. Oh, lifelong lessons for your kids, those kids and you and your family. That's for sure. Yeah, it's really impactful. And all of our team members here are able to do the same thing. And so we have just tremendous stories, not just from the families, but from our team members, families that are impacted by doing that. So I think that's my favorite. We still have letters hanging up now from moms that just break your heart to walk by, but you also feel a sense of satisfaction. Yep. You're doing what you can to help improve their quality of life. That's for sure. Best ever way the best ever listeners can learn more about your company and get in touch with you. If you want to go to dohardmoney.com and then backslash best dash ever, we put together one of my books, How to Get More Money Than You Can Ever Handle, Real Estate Investor's Guide to Funding Deals. And they can download that free copy. We sell it on Amazon for 25 bucks. Um, download a digital copy for free. Love for you to take advantage of that so you can get to know what we do and if we can help make your life better. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Learned a lot about how you all evaluate borrowers and it's interesting to hear that and then it's really interesting for fix and flippers who are listening to learn how a lender evaluates borrowers how to assess comps mistakes that beginning fix and flippers make falling in love with the deal and specifically making sure that you have a good deal and the construction budget is in line i'm really glad that you got into the details of the construction budget, doing bonuses for early completions, penalty for late completions, doing draws based on itemized timelines, making sure they carry insurance, all the nuances of working with contractors as well as assessing a good opportunity, the 70% of after repair value minus the cost of repairs, looking at the comps. You got in details of the comps. So really valuable interview. Thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.